welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode on Chit Chat Money, the show where we go over an individual security in 30 to 45 minutes. Well, it usually lasts about 45 minutes. And I think this one will probably go long too, because it's a very complicated company. Um, and it's Ian's choice, maybe something people haven't heard of before. It's called Apple, Apple Computer, I think. Yeah. Can Ian, you remind us what they do? Yeah. Ian, <laughs> how'd, you, how'd you find this company, huh? Yeah. Well, I will say for full disclosure, this is my um, largest currently. So um, I don't want to be pumping the stock. And I, I know that our podcast will probably have a big effect on the stock price in the next five days. But, um, you know, just just for full disclosure out there. Right, right. Three trillion dollar market cap that can be easily swayed by uh, by, by some tweets and some some uh, downloaded <laughs> audio. But yeah, we're going to talk about Apple. This should be a fun one. We haven't talked about it in a long time. And they got a lot of things brewing and a lot of rumors out there of what they're going to be doing, you know, after the iPhone and stuff like that. So I don't think it's going to be, you know, hopefully we can get into the actual details. A lot of people kind of know the overview of the business, but we'll kind of hopefully get to actually how everything works, their profitability, all that good stuff. And I'll let Ryan introduce the company. But first, let's talk about our sponsor for the Not So Deep Dive episode, Common Stock. Today's episode to you is brought to you by Common Stock, a social network for smart money investors. It allows you to put in real-time trades on their platform and show your portfolios do write-ups associated with your trades, all that good stuff. And the best part, anyone can sign up for Common Stock account. It is free. There are no subscriptions and there are no paywalls. Common Stock isn't a brokerage itself, but it built custom APIs to let investors link their Robinhood, TD Ameritrade account, Coinbase, E-Trade, and others to show that they have skin in the game. So basically the best part about it is you can connect your portfolios to it. They can see your allocation. For example, if Ian was on there, people would see that he had his largest position was Apple. So if he did a write-up on Apple, people would know that he actually you know, owned it, wasn't trying to do anything. He actually knows the company quite well. And you can learn from other investors on there too. So it's a fantastic place to go, learn about investing, see people's write-ups. Um, I don't know. What else? Is that, is that everything we got? Yeah. We've, we've talked to the uh, management or the founders over there, and it's a very good group. Uh, and I got a feeling they're going to roll out more stuff. Uh, as as it goes along. So that's right. They're still very early. So hopefully they'll grow and get better each and every year. All right, Ryan, do you want to hit what Apple does? I think everyone knows this, but maybe mm-hmm. given to the details of what is important to their business. Yeah, I'm going to try to... But yeah, I, I would provide no value by describing what Apple does. So I'm just going to go through each reporting segment and kind of how much of the top line they make up. And so Apple breaks it, breaks up its revenue into five reporting segments, uh, and I'm going to go through them in order of size. So the first one is the iPhone, and this makes up 52% of their revenue. Uh, this is obviously their line of smartphones uh, and maybe the single greatest product ever made. Um, in September, the company released their line of iPhone 13. So this includes iPhone 13, iPhone 13 mini, iPhone 13 Pro, and iPhone 13 Pro Max. Um, I don't know the technical uh differences, but I'm sure there are some. And then each of these runs on the Apple iOS operating system. And I believe 
there's basically a new iteration that comes out every year. Am I getting that right? Yep. Is it, I don't know if it's designed to be annually, but uh, there's been 13 lines of them. So um, yeah, that's kind of the main revenue driver. Everyone kind of understands that business, but it's pretty much all the hardware revenue. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about gross profit in a little bit, but the services segment is their second largest revenue driver. And this accounts for 19% of the top line. Um, and so this is comprised of advertising. So search ads in the app store, ads in Apple news. Um, there's some other areas where they have advertising as well. And then they have Apple care. So this is their fee-based service and support products. They also have cloud services. So customers can buy additional storage for all their data and then digital content. This is a big one. So, and a controversial one. So they, uh, this includes app store fees. Apple Music, Apple Arcade, Apple News Plus, Apple TV Plus, all that stuff, all the digital content gets wrapped up in there. Um, and then lastly is their payment services. So Apple Pay and Apple Card. Um, we're gonna, probably going to talk about services a lot because it's sort of, it's the highest margin portion of their business. And so it's really kind of important. And it's also been one that's under the most regulatory pressure. So one, uh, one thing I'll add into that is the Google deal for search gets included into services. So I think it's 15 billion or either $18 billion a year. Google pays them to be the search engine on iPhones and all, well, I guess all Apple products. Um, so yeah, that gets included in that. That gets bunched in there too. Okay. And then the third one is wearables, home and accessories. So this is about 10% of revenue. This segment includes AirPods, the Apple Watch, Apple TV, uh, Beats, HomePod and the iPod Touch. I did not know that that still existed, uh, but it does. And then the fourth largest is the Mac. So this is also 10% of revenue. This is their line of personal computers. Um, it includes the MacBook Pro and the iMac, which I believe is the bigger desktop version um, and not really the personal laptop. And then the fifth is the iPad. That's also around 10% of revenue. Um, and this is their line of tablets. It actually runs on its own operating system it's called the iPad OS. And then the four big ones here are the iPad, iPad Air, iPad Pro, and iPad Mini. Um, the, uh, quick question. If you guys, I, I know, Brett, I think you still have an Apple product, which of these yeah. products do you like the most? Seems or, like the iPad's pretty good. I don't know. I like that one, but I got one for free. I, I think I haven't compared it to other tablets, but that it's very useful. <laughs> yeah. I'd say that's probably the most useful one for me as well. Kind of works as a good reading tool. Yeah. What about you, Ian? I think I'd have to go with the iPhone just with how much I use it every single day and how, you know, how seamless it is with working with all the technology. It's um, it, that's probably my favorite. Personally, I say they're too connected. Like, uh, I don't want the notifications on every device going to every device. We've had that debate internally, but, uh, but you know, to each his own. Remember the inverse Brett consumer goods. ETF. That's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, that? Peloton, Pel- nah, so far. <laughs> okay. okay. I'll give you, know. All right. You were, you were right on one. So I guess that's a boost there, but um, I guess any other other important information is that majority of their sales still comes from the Americas. Uh, China is the fastest growing geography for them on a percentage basis. Um, and their hardware for the most part is manufactured in Asia, which is relevant given some of the shipping issues. Um, that isn't the shipping issues. I don't think are as big of a problem for them as the chip shortage, uh, which they talk about. Um, and if you go onto the last conference call, they mentioned this a lot, but they have their higher end chips isn't necessarily a problem for them. It's where they're lower. It's when they use the lower end chips that they're having uh, constraints. Um, and that had an impact on their revenue in this last quarter, a pretty big impact as well. Six billion, yeah. uh, I think is the number. Yep. And then history, 
I think a lot of people have heard the story about their founding. Um, so I'm probably not the best one to tell it. You could probably just go watch one of the movies or something, but Jobs, Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak were the founders. They founded it in 1976 and Jobs Garage. It was kind of this visionary slash engineer dynamic that they had. Um, and then Jobs eventually, Woz left, then Jobs left. Um, and then Jobs started his own company uh, called Next Software and he also bought Pixar. And then Apple was struggling around 1997. If I'm getting these dates correctly, they brought, they bought uh, Jobs' software company, brought him back in. He became CEO in 2000. And that's when they really started to hit their stride and launch a lot of new products. They had the iBook, the iPod, and then in 2007, uh, the iPhone. Um, and then since that point, Apple stock has grown 42 fold since 2007. So really good returns over the last decade or last 15 years. Uh, Jobs did die shortly after in 2011, which at that point, uh, Tim Cook took over and he had been the COO prior and he's been CEO ever since. So it's kind of a little quick timeline there. Uh, do you want to talk about the industry and landscape? Yeah, this is easy one. Everyone knows they operate in the electronic devices and information technology industry, but let's go through each unit or each segment that Ryan described. And we'll talk about kind of what the global demand for that is. So smartphone units are projected to be about 1.38 billion worldwide in 2021. Uh, 1.38 million just means total unit sales across the globe. iPhones cost around $400 to $1,000 or higher. So the target market for them is huge, although they only play in more of the, the wealthier part of that target market of the 1.38 billion uh, smartphone units that are sold. Smart watch industry, there is a projected to be or estimated to be about 69 million units sold in 2020. And that is expected to hit 230 million units in 2026. Watches cost around $400 to $750. So this is hopefully, um, and we'll get to this later, the big growth driver for them going forward. PC and laptops are a very stable industry, about 80.6 million PC units, 275 million laptops, and 160 million tablets sold worldwide. Apple has a much smaller market share here. I think in tablets, they have a pretty good market share, but in PCs and laptops, it's a lot smaller. So even though there's a ton of units for these and they're quite expensive, Apple is just a sliver of this. As Ryan said, they're only about 10% of their overall revenue. Mobile operating system industry, this is an easy one to go over as well uh, because there's two. And I think Samsung has 0.02% market share. iOS, which is Apple, has 30% market share worldwide. And Android has 70% market share worldwide. Android is owned by Google. So they're, they're the number one competitor for Apple. Well, maybe Samsung too. Those are definitely the big ones. So yeah, the big competitors are Samsung with devices. I think they're the second biggest device maker um, and they run with Android uh, for their operating system most of the time. And then Google, they compete with Android versus iOS. They also have some hardware with phones, uh, watches. I think they have an internal one plus Fitbit watches. And then there are many other competitors for the services industry, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney, Spotify, whatever. Um, I don't need to go through all of those because they're a lot smaller, but the big ones are definitely Samsung and Google. All right, Ian, do you want to hit management and ownership? Yep. And I'm going to focus on Tim Cook, who, as Ryan was mentioning, took over as CEO in 2011. So I want to give a little bit of the, his backstory because he's been the CEO for over 10 years now and uh, looks to probably be the CEO for a number of years going forward. So like I said, he su succeeded Jobs as CEO in 2011. He started at IBM after graduating from Auburn and worked his way up to become the director of North American fulfillment of its new PC division. So right at the beginning of when people started um, kind of buying personal computers, he was at IBM uh, 
the director of the North American Fulfillment. Um, so after that, he worked at a company called Intelligent Electronics, I believe is its COO. And then, um, and then he worked at Compaq, which was a, a computer manufacturer at the time and was really hot in the late uh, to the mid to late 90s. Steve Jobs returned to Apple in 1997. And as part of that, he, he quickly hired Tim Cook as senior vice president of worldwide operations to be part of the, the new Apple that he was redesigning and redeveloping. Tim Cook came, in, came to play a, a vital role in the executive office. A little bit of background on some of what Cook actually did. He was behind the move to contract manufacturing instead of um, Apple manufacturing all of its own products in-house. Um, which allowed Apple to build faster, um, build more products, and develop the relationships that have really created a competitive advantage over the past number of years and being able to um, have the best manufacturers manufacture Apple products and be able to predict uh, or be able to fulfill demand because they've got these strong relationships with the contract manufacturers. And Tim Cook is really known as an operational efficiency mastermind. That's really his skill set is being able to come in and just um, make things as efficient as possible. When he joined Apple, it wasn't necessarily a no-brainer. Um, the stock price was below what it had been in the late 80s. Michael Dell, who is the founder of Dell Computers, was suggesting that Steve Jobs should just return money to shareholders. And so I have to imagine that um, it was a little bit of a tough decision for Tim Cook to actually uh, join Apple at that point. But I assume that part of it was his interactions with Steve Jobs and seeing, seeing Steve's vision for what it could become. Cook is now 61 years old, and the rumor is that he wants to launch one more product category before retiring. Probably um, AR glasses is kind of the idea that he'll kind of push through that. And then after that, maybe assess whether he wants to retire. Um, and so that's that's kind of the backstory on Tim Cook. All told, insiders own only about six basis points of Apple stock, but with a nearly tri $3 trillion market cap, um, that's still a significant amount because... Or, for, so, for instance, Tim Cook has about half of his net worth in Apple stock, which is uh, $568 million worth of Apple stock. One last interesting point on ownership is that the largest holder of Apple stock by far, I think it's the only um, institution that owns more than 1% of Apple, is actually Berkshire Hathaway that owns over 5% of shares outstanding, which that's been much talked about in the recent uh, months and weeks as it's be, as uh it's become clear how much that's um, what a great investment that was by Berkshire a number of years ago. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's the largest, largest shareholder of Apple by, by far. Yeah. That's been, yeah. One of the best investments of all time for sure. Um, really, really large investment that's worked out well for them. I'll hit valuation quick market cap. Like Ian said, it's about 2.7 trillion hit 3 trillion, which is quite fun. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, it's kind of astounding to see something worth that much. Ticker is AAPL. Enterprise value is slightly lower, about $2.63 trillion. That's approximate. Um, EV to sales, 7.2. EV to gross profit of 17.2. EV to operating income of 24. So you can see how, with their, how big they are, they have that operating leverage where that EV to gross profit and EV to operating income are not that different. EV to free cash flow, this is probably the most important one for them since they're such a mature company, is 28. Dividend yield, 0.53%. So it's there, but it's not that meaningful for them. But the most important thing for them from a capital returns standpoint is buybacks. Share count has gone down consistently since 2014. You have no worries from dilution there. It 
Well, I mean, they have stock-based compensation, but it, the, the buybacks offset that significantly. And it's definitely a positive for this one, unlike a lot of other companies we've covered where you probably have to price in 2 to 3% dilution on your share base. You could probably count on a 2%, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe around a 2% reduction in share count uh, for maybe three. Well, at their valuation, I think it's, it's slowed down a bit. The, the, the rate. I know, but recently, like they were able oh. to reduce it a lot easier when it was PE of 10. At this one, it's going to be tougher because at an EV to free cash flow of 28, but you're closer to a free cash flow of three to 4% paying out the dividend. But they're, I mean, they're retiring. And I guess this is part of my, uh, both thesis, but they've got, they returned a hundred billion dollars this year to shareholders at a 2.7 trillion dollar and 15% of that was dividends. 85% of that was share repurchases. So at 2.7 trillion, it's like, yeah, it could around, be, it's a, around 3.7% in, in all. Um, yeah. So it's probably around 3% just in the buybacks. Yeah. I think you could, it's possible they could do three. Yeah. 3%, but I think it'd be closer to 2% based on their current valuation. Um, but that's, that's speculative. I think it'll be around, it'll be close to either of those numbers. Uh, Ryan, you want to hit earnings. Yeah. And so they already reported their Q4. So their 10K is out. They had $366 billion in total net sales. That's up 33% year over year. The iPhone was the fastest growing segment for them, but all segments grew their top line by more than 20%, which is, I thought that was really impressive to see. And Apple's aggregate gross margin was 42%. Um, So they break it up into hardware and then, or products and then services. And products is around 35%. And the gross margin on services is at about 70%. So while services only accounts for 19% of revenue, it accounts for like 31% of gross profit. So it is a pretty sizable portion of their actual income. Um, and then op- operating expenses as a percentage of revenue declined from four- 14% to 12%. That left them with $109 billion in operating profit or about 30% operating margins. Uh, they had $104 billion in operating cash flow. That grew 30% year over year and about $93 billion in free cash flow. Uh, I thought it was fun to look at their retained earnings column just to see how much Apple's actually returning to shareholders. Um, and so they paid about they paid fourteen point four billion dollars in dividends for the year and eighty five and a half billion dollars in repurchases. That's a hundred billion dollars in capital returned to shareholders on ninety three billion dollars in free cash flow. So really shareholder friendly approach or as of late, I wonder if that was inspired by Buffett coming on. Um, no, I think, I think he was inspired to, they started it before this. So I think he was inspired by that, you know, to, that was probably part of his thesis. I'm guessing, uh, I don't know. I, I don't talk to him, obviously. <laughs> the, uh, the, they did issue some guidance, but it wasn't very specific. So the outlook, they said uh, they expect year over year revenue growth in the first quarter, but it will be a deceleration from Q4. And Q4 was growing at about 29% year over year. They said the only area where they're expecting negative uh, year over year comps is iPad. Um, so I guess it's a little hard to know kind of what the go forward growth rate is going to be. Um, yeah, if it's like 20%. You're like, okay, but if it's like 5%, people might get skittish. Yeah. Yeah. And that's obviously an important part moving forward, but the gross margin and operating expenses look like they're going to stay consistent. That's what they said. They did say that they had supply constraints and that it will continue to impact revenue. So in the last quarter, they had lost, or they lost $6 billion in revenue from supply constraints. Um, 
if that's going to be a problem going forward, just keep in mind, it's going to limit um, potentially their, uh, I guess, just top line. Um, but obviously that's factored into their outlook. I don't like that. They said positive comps. Like, what is that? Is it 5% or is it yeah. 25%? I'd rather give you out specific guidance than if you're going to do this, I'd rather have no guidance at all. If you're going to get what I mean, like this just creates too much speculation between people and the focus gets lost. You yeah. Know? Just be vague. Just be like, things are looking. Yeah. Just say demand is looking robust. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> how could you not buy a stock where demand's robust? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> anyway, balance sheet, liquidity, Ian. Yep. They've got, I think still the largest cash balance of any, um, company in the world right now with $190 billion in cash and marketable securities. The largest bucket um, of that is about $85 billion in corporate debt securities. I, I have to imagine that that puts them as one of the top holders of corporate debt in the world. I think I looked it up and there's something like, um, maybe it was, now I'm forgetting, but somewhere between 10 and 20 trillion in corporate debt, I think. Um, and at it, it, $85 billion, I would imagine, I'll find that number in a second, but I'll- Yeah, they're basically a bank them, at this point. <laughs> right. And- um, so then after that, you, they're invested in treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, non-US government securities, about 20 billion each in that. Um, a little note that from 2020 to 2021, they appear to be getting out of some treasuries and into some corporate debt. Um, so take that as you may. Um, including about $12 billion of leases, Apple has debt of around $137 billion. And so a net cash position of 53 billion-ish. And this primarily consists of fixed rate term notes with interest rates um, ranging from zero to 5%. The, more, the majority of this debt is due after 2026. And one of the reasons for this debt, and you're alluding to them being kind of like a bank, is they actually earn more in interest than they pay um, on their debt. So they earn more from the securities they own than from uh, the interest on the debt that they owe. And so that there's a little bit of... Um, it just for them, it makes the capital structure makes sense and they're actually earning a little bit of income off it. So, uh, and th they've got the business to back it up. And then as you, as you noted, Brett, they've got uh, a share count that's steadily declining. It's down almost 25% since 2016. So, it, you know, pretty incredible, I think for a company the size of Apple to have retired almost a quarter of its shares since 2016 in the last five years bought back over $90 billion in stock over the past 12 months, which is around three to 4% of shares outstanding. So really um, impressive, strong balance sheet. Um, they do have, like I said, got, they own debt, they owe debt. Um, so there's, there's some dynamics going on there, but it seems like um, everything is uh, above board. <laughs> yeah. They run, they have one of the best balance sheets. Yeah. Yeah. It was, this was a very easy in terms of like just going through the 10 K and looking at the numbers, I don't think I've ever seen a prettier, hey, uh, prettier financial statements. It was under hundred pages too. So for all those companies out there that are way smaller than Apple, putting out 200 page 10 Ks, I mean, shame on you. Like this is a $3 trillion company and the, it only takes 87 pages. I think the, uh, the other thing I'll say is if they can borrow at 1% and they can buy back, at a three percent yield. Yeah, I mean that's what they used to do. It's 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 they can only it's but they're borrow they're not going to borrow at one percent. It's probably like three, right, Ian? If I'm wrong. Yeah, it's somewhere closer to three to four percent. You know, they've got they they issue so much debt over time that it's um, there's a wide range in their interest rates, but um, that it's it, I think the 
the rate on the whole thing is probably closer to three to four percent. Yeah, when they're at a ten percent free cash flow yield, I mean that was just that was just machine. All right, let's hit the ad break and we'll talk more about what we think about Apple stock. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one, so you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Music isn't really music until all the parts become one. Drums, bass, vocals, maybe some cowbell. It's a lot like business. Until all the separate parts of your company are working together, it's impossible to achieve your goals without harmony. Airtable can help. Deeply connect teams, data, and workflows. Build apps that adapt as your needs change. And give people the flexibility to do great work their way. This is how. Visit Airtable.com today. Okay, welcome back. Next up, we have anecdotal evidence. This always should be a fun one since I bet even everyone listening has anecdotal evidence on the, you know, on the products. Ian, um, what's yours? Yeah, I'd just say that whenever I go to buy a new phone, there's no doubt in my mind that it's going to be an iPhone. And not that that's true of everybody or that I could never change, but that is the reality right now for me. <laughs> and it's it's going to be my next phone is going to be an iPhone. So um, that's, you know, I think it's it's pretty there's few things in my life where I don't do any shopping for. And um, my phone is one of them. They got a lock on the U.S. customer for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Can you port over like, let's say I wanted to get a new device. Could I port over my data? Mm, you can do it. I mean, are you talking across going to Android? Yeah, mm, I don't think so. It's only. I think it's only Android to Android or Apple to Apple. All right. Well, I am with I am with Apple for life then. Um, I'm sure to... there's a service that does it, but like you might have to pay extra. I don't know. I, I bet someone can do it, but it might just take a little while. Also, right. It's not going to be seamless. It's not going to be... do it at the Apple store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have the iPhone. I have the iPad. I have the Mac book or the, not the, the iMac, laptop, but the MacBook Pro. Yeah. Um, and I have the watch. I probably you don't can't. like the MacBook though, or you've complained about it sometimes. Yeah, I mean, mine's an old version, uh, and so sometimes it's just annoying. But the, uh, I don't know if there were any that I would go outside the ecosystem, it'd probably be the computer. Um, but the rest of them, I think it helps to stay within the ecosystem, um, just because, like, with the watch, you know, I'm getting texts that I can see. I've got like maps, so I don't have to look at my phone when I'm in the car. Like it's the interconnect interconnectedness is very helpful with some of that stuff. Um, the computer, not so much, but it's yeah, I'm I'm pretty much with Apple for life, and I think most consumers in the U.S. are. Yeah, personally, I like how my iPad is not connected because if it's like a reading or watching device, you don't have notifications. But that I don't think I think most people don't really. They'd rather have the opposite. Um, so, I mean, that, that works. That ecosystem lock-in is true in this case. Uh, for me, I mean, I think their most secure market is obviously the smartphone, but I think the watch is developing to even as just a secure market. I mean, no one is buying, at least in the U.S., from where I, I see, no one's buying anything else. They won't buy watches that aren't from someone else, even if the other ones are better. So, I like what they're doing with that. Anecdotally, uh, they've kind of turned 
the watch, you know, the functions are nice. It's like probably great. And it probably does the same as say a Fitbit technically, you know, or technologically, but the differentiation is they made it a fashion statement and that's what they did with the iPhone. And now they're, I think they'll be able to sell a whole lot of those over the next few years. All right, let's move to future growth opportunities. Ian, uh, what's yours? Looks like, oh, you got some, uh, some metaverse uh, stuff in here. <laughs> yeah, this was, this was part of my original thesis with Apple before I'd even heard of anything called the metaverse. But I think a great future growth opportunity for them is this AR and VR kind of world. And so there's been a lot of speculation that Apple's going to get into the AR glasses world. And Google has tried this a little bit. Snapchat has tried this a little bit. Um, and with not very much success. Basically, what these glasses in theory would allow you to do is to see your world and you see through them, they'd be clear and they'd be very minimalist and you could overlay things on the world. And so for instance, you could have your map out in front of you. You could see the map as you're driving through your glasses. You might be able to, um, as you're watching uh, a sporting event at an arena, that it might have the score and some stats that you were looking through as well as you're watching the game, um, different things like that. So all sorts of, you could play games with them. Maybe you could see messages pop up instead of looking down your Apple watch, it would pop up in your view. Um, there's a lot of speculation, too much work, too much work to look down, right? Well, it's, it's, uh, that's the great thing though, is when you look down at your watch or you look down at your phone, it's like, um, it's rude, right. To everyone else in the room, when you're just looking through your glasses, you know, there's nothing, you're not being rude at all. So anyways, (laughs) um, you are, no one one knows you're being rude. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, anyways, I think there's a lot of kind of interesting applications for it, but the question for the question for me is i think i think you could never bet on apple having another success like the iphone as ryan said it was probably the best product of all time you would never bet that they'd have another one that then became the best product of all time do you think the watch being too bullish to say the watch has that potential or is it doesn't cost enough money i don't think it's i don't think the watch is as i think the watch is good because of the iphone i think it's good because it's tangential or supplemental to the iPhone. I don't know. They're pretty expensive. Uh, do you think? Right. I, I think it's a good product for sure. I don't think it's had the impact the iPhone has had. Yeah. Definitely I don't not think yet. the AR glasses are going to have the impact that the iPhone's going to have, but I think they've got the best shot at that of anything. And um, I just, I think that Apple has a unique ability, especially with its ecosystem and the way that the watch has kind of proven this, that if they can build a good product and it ties in with everything else that they do, I think Apple wins the AR glasses um, space. Now that'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I think Apple has a good chance of that. A couple of quick numbers. There's, they're also reportedly working on a VR headset that would be more similar to the Oculus. That's supposed to come out sometime in late 2022 or early 2023. And that is what's being said is that that's going to be the first product that's out. And then the AR glasses are going to be out sometime after that. So probably late 2023 into 2024, 2025. And so we're, we're probably from Apple. The rumor is we're going to see a VR headset before we actually see these AR glasses. Mm, yeah. Now those numbers are good and the technology is great, but I think Apple will sell these AR glasses if one, they look stylish and two, they just blast us with commercials where people that are attractive are using them. That seems to be their product strategy. Uh, It works for AirPods. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's what will convince people to wear them. Um, But yeah, I mean, that seems like the AR glasses in a more serious note has a lot of variants. Like could totally be a bust, could be a huge growth driver for them. 
Um, all right. What, what about you, Ryan? Yeah, I would, I think the AR glasses is kind of the big, um, potential that would be definitely like a needle mover. Um, but I guess it's less certain mine's, I guess already happening, which is Apple pay. Um, the problem is Apple's really discreet about their economics on the services side and what is actually going, like how much revenue they're generating from the different components. Um, and so I can't really give too much color on that. And so I don't really know if this will be a needle mover, but anecdotally, I'm seeing a ton of adoption among peers with Apple Pay. And it's not just, I'm seeing a lot of people opt out of like Venmo or Cash App and just send texts with Apple Pay. Right. Um, especially in the US when majority of people are iPhone, it's very easy, right? Because they already yeah. have that quote unquote network effect. Yeah. And more so lately. And then the other thing I'm seeing is a lot of people, um, like when they forget their wallets or something like that, they... I hear people ask all the time, like, oh, do you guys accept Apple Pay? Which I wasn't really hearing that three years ago. And three years ago, I would have said, honestly, that uh, US is going to be primarily like card indefinitely. But now I'm starting to see more mobile payments. Um, and so I think Apple Pay, I'm not sure what percentage they get of each transaction. I know they probably get something, uh, but they're, uh, I could see that being, a, I guess, a revenue driver for them. The other one that is a little more fun is if Microsoft and Activision, if that deal doesn't go through, I think Apple should bid to spin off King Games. Like well, it doesn't even King games. That doesn't even fit. King doesn't even fit in with Microsoft because it's console. So like it could all they could say like, hey, you know, no, we'll take that. Yeah. Like King doesn't even work with you. I mean, it'd be perfect for uh, like the Apple Arcade Plus subscription to just throw candy crush in there regulators would never have this but uh i mean apple arcade plus is a is a as, as a scene it seems like it's like a really not robust i guess you it's are, been unsuccessful it seems yeah they don't have enough products on, on that but maybe but they don't report on it that's really. true that's so it's true. like and i think they don't report on it intentionally so regulators don't have something to point their finger at for like let's say uh, 50% of their revenue was coming from app store fees and they had like a nominal figure to point their finger at, that would probably hurt in, uh, I'm, it'd be a little more regulatory pressure or just social pressure in general. Um, but there isn't that much color throughout the 10 K just in general. Yeah. I think they also don't like to highlight that lucrative Google deal. That is the majority of services profits, uh, $18 billion pure, pure, pure cash. Uh, that a lot of companies would highlight that, but they don't want to because it's honestly that's one of the most anti-competitive things they've done uh, in conjunction with Google. Um, I'll hit my feature growth opportunity. I've talked about the watch; it's the thing I like the most about their business going forward. I think it has a lot of room to run, so to speak. Uh, they've executed brilliantly with the product, and it's becoming a fashion statement, even more so than the iPhone did. I was checking out what they have. I mean, you like. It gives it that brand differentiation in the United States for anyone that's middle class or higher. They're not buying Fitbits anymore. You are buying a watch and if it doesn't make any sense, but it does when, uh, when, when people buy it, cause it makes them feel good. And even if the technology is the same, it seems like they have great technology on the watch. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if everyone is going to have a smartwatch in the future, but I think in the United States and the Western world and probably China as well, Apple will have the majority of the market share and however large that market gets. Um, 
It'll be great. And what, what about those new ads? Have you seen those ads? They've been running on football Sundays. Which ones? Basically, if you don't buy an Apple watch, you're going to die. That one. They're yeah. trying to that, that, think about that ad. They're saying, if you don't buy an Apple watch, you're going to die. I mean, that's it pretty is, convincing well, marketing. It is. It is genuinely a, a helpful safety th- thing to have. I know, but people think, live, we've had a lot of yeah. people live without Apple watch. <laughs> I think I'll be fine. Definitely. But I, I think it does actually highlight something that we're not going to touch on in future growth opportunities, but there's been a lot of speculation that um, Apple wants to get more into kind of healthcare right. and fitness and that type of stuff. And I think that the Apple watch, especially with these new ads, we're seeing more and more of a emphasis on that, that look at an Apple watch makes you healthy An Apple watch helps you live longer An Apple watch is safe. And I think that we'll continue to see features with the Apple watch that makes it seem like um, a necessity as, as you were alluding to. And especially for, you know, you start thinking about your, um, you know, it's like all the I've fallen and I can't get up ads, right? This, yeah. this has become uh, something that starts serving that market as well. Um, yeah. I mean, but- advertising, extremely smart move. Uh, to do it like that. All right, let's move into highlights and lowlights. Ian, what do you like and dislike? We should caveat again, it is your uh, largest position. So uh, what yeah. do you like and so dislike? Take everything, yeah, take everything I say with a grain of salt for sure. But um, I think it starts for me with Tim Cook reviewing for this podcast. Again, I was just impressed by how well he followed Steve Jobs, but also didn't try to be Steve Jobs. Tim Cook is clearly a different leader and has a different style than Steve Jobs and even different emphasis, but the company has performed remarkably well. And it's pretty rare to see um, a great leader like Tim Cook follow a great founder leader like Steve Jobs for for there to be a smooth transition and then for it to be um, as successful as it's been has has been uh, really impressive. I also think the transition towards services is good for the business. It's higher margin and more predictable, as Ryan was talking about, 70%. Um, gross margins versus 35% gross margins on the, the hardware sides. So it just, it, Apple has always been following the stock for a number of years. Apple stock price goes up and down a little bit as um, iPhone sales tend to be a little bit lumpy. Some years are better than others. Some, some years they have more innovation than others. And so um, it has become over the last couple of years, it has become less a story of how good the iPhone is this year and more of a services story. And so I think that's been good. A couple of lowlights for me, I think with a company, obviously of Apple size, you always worry about antitrust um, and even breakup potential. I think, um, whereas there's some other businesses like Amazon, where if you broke them up, they might be more valuable. I think it's hard to break up Apple and it be more valuable. Um, I think the, the, the network and everything being so interconnected is one of the things that's actually so valuable about Apple. And um, I'd probably be less interested in it if it was broken up. And then I also think there's there's a growing reliance on China um, to fuel particularly revenue growth for Apple going forward. And I'm always a little bit uneasy with companies that that rely as much as um, Apple does on China, both for um, revenue and also for supply chain. But mostly on this in this case on on the revenue side, I think that's just. It, it adds a level of risk to the to the investment. Do they have? Do we have a number on their percent China revenue? Is it like twenty percent? Do we have a? It's we the probably third largest market, but it's the fastest growing. So it goes Americas, Europe, China, Japan. I think it's slightly lower than Europe, but I th- I still think America's significantly larger. Right? It's double yeah. the size of the Chinese market. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll pull up the number, uh, the exact number in just a second here. Okay, Ryan, what, what about you? It's the best run business in the world. Um, 
And it's uh, Microsoft. I might still go with Apple. I think. Yeah. The uh, and the other thing is it does it for the largest company in the world. I would think that there would be. I mean, the antitrust stuff. It's hard because they really have focused on security and privacy. And I do buy that argument from their side. And I think if there's anyone to face those headwinds, it's Tim Cook. Wow. They, they got to you, huh? They have. I mean, <laughs> it's... I, I think no, they're right. Job. I mean, they are. They are. I mean, it's so much. It could have been a yeah. much more dystopian business with the wrong person at the helm. And Tim Cook's been, I think, the right guy for the job. Um, the brand loyalty also makes new product expansion a lot easier. I think people are more willing to try something out from Apple than Facebook. Um, low lights for me though, there is the app store pressure. That's probably the biggest one. Um, there's no ter- there's no really telling exactly where that will go, but they're just kind of getting hit from all sides from different uh, jurisdictions and different rules. And um, it just seems like it's favoring uh, more democratization of app store uh or app development and less just lower fees yeah Um, there was just a bill today thrown out there in the u.s congress about uh banning companies from promoting their own banning uh google and apple from promoting their own services in their app store or maybe not banning but like you can't like pump it up to the top of the rankings yeah i mean it's just kind of this consistent barrage of uh headwinds on that front um and then the last one, I'll, I'll also say China. I think we've all said China, but as the biggest uh, percentage basis growth driver, I don't, I don't like that for a few reasons, um, but it just adds a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, yep. I to agree. Pro- to provide a number on that, it's about eighteen or nineteen percent of revenue um, right. is China. Okay. But yeah, that's pretty big. Growing seventy percent year over year, right? Yeah, uh, that that it might not. I don't know if that's normal though. Like, yes, uh, this past year it grew more than it has traditionally. It's actually stayed um, flat and even declined over the last couple of years. But then this wow. in 2021, um, it had a big spike. The CCP gave the order. All right. Uh, uh, highlights for me buyback program has been so smart. I mean, the way they run their balance sheet is great. Uh, I've said this like three times, but I think the watch is fantastic. Execution with services has been better than I expected, I think. Um, Apple Arcade and News Plus have been total dogs, but everything else, I mean, pay, uh, what's that cloud thing they lock everything, everyone into? Music has been solid. TV Plus has been way better than people thought it would be. So I think services overall have been great. Um, low lights, though, like you guys said, China overhang, it's geopolitical and it's also, well, I guess it's mainly just geopolitical. Like, I don't know what happens if things get more tense. Like this is a huge, they're probably the, I mean, already, maybe outside of Starbucks, the most tied to China. Um, yeah. It's already, I think heating, it, it's heated up uh, a lot in the last like yeah. year or so. Biggest risk I think to the company. I think we're all in agreement on that. Um, I also, my low light, another low light for me is they rely on less subscription-y revenue or recurring revenue than Microsoft and Google, which feels harder to predict for me. Like Microsoft and Google, I am way more confident in what the revenue will be in 2025 or that it'll be higher from here. Apple, while they've executed extremely well, it's going to take better execution to run um, 
at least to grow. I, I think Google is something that, you know, is kind of a ham sandwich type company for their core stuff that people could run. Um, the Google search deal is a bit of a conundrum for me because I think that could get totally like torn apart and the government could say, no, no, no. Like we can't have Google and Apple in bed with each other and just winning this market that could be seen as anti-competitive. They could lose $18 billion in cash flow at the drop of a hat. Um, Siri has been a big bust, although I don't think that voice technology markets really amounted to anything for anyone. And then app store stuff like you guys talked about. The other one, and I saw this and maybe it's, I guess I don't know what to think of this, but I saw something on the back of a product that was like designed in the Apple product designed in the United States, where it would typically say made, made in China or, <laughs> or made manufactured in Asia. And it's like, great. It's like, they're kind of secret about that. And it, maybe it was sort of a tail, but I heard that they had a net around. I think that could have been Nike. Oh, Nike's another one that's tied to China. It could have been Nike, maybe. It's either one of those, the suicide nets. Yeah, yeah. there yeah. were suicide nets outside their manufacturing areas in uh, Asia. Yeah. But that that might be rumor. That might be speculation. So I don't want to, uh, I guess, keep it going. But um, what about bull? What about the bull case, Ian? Yeah, the bull case for me is fairly simple. They one of these new products or growth opportunities that we talked about, AR glasses, they've talked about coming out with an Apple car, uh, services, metaverse, the Apple watch, whatever it is, that those continue to drive consistent growth for Apple going forward and investors benefit from growing revenue and declining share count over the next five to 10 years. Yep. Yep. Simple story. I think we, uh, I think we all have the similar ones here. Uh, Ryan, what's yours? Yeah. So assuming the buybacks and the dividends stay consistent um, on a nominal basis, so saying they they can uh, they continue to return $100 billion to shareholders a year, um, at the current price or at the current enterprise value, that's nearly a 4% yield. Um, that's higher than their annual free cash flow, though. So free cash flow is going to have to grow to keep that up. Yeah. Which I, I don't think it's too bold to assume that it can. Um, but I'm saying if the div- if if the allocation back to shareholders stays consistent and free cash flow goes five percent this year, then free cash flow would eclipse the hundred billion dollar mark. Right. But yeah. um, so I guess the, there's a four percent yield there. You add in potentially high mid single digit free cash flow growth, uh, which I think is achievable, um, and shareholders can get near a ten percent return, even at today's multiple. Um, it's this. I guess the bull case, bear case. There isn't that huge of a discrepancy. Uh, for me, I, I don't think the spread is that wide versus some of the other companies we've looked at. Mm, yeah, I don't think the bull case. I don't know, and so, maybe I'm being too pessimistic, but I don't think the bull case. I don't think there's a wildly optimistic bull case out there. No, uh, um, multiple compression. Yeah, I mean, if you don't think multiples can compress, maybe you can get much higher than ten percent. But that's the big like. I don't know multiples. I think have to compress, um, but I guess there's no reason they, they ha- maybe, I don't know. It seems like it's very likely they will compress, but there's no reason they have to. Their buybacks are more lucrative. Yeah. But I mean, that's going to lower your total return from here, yeah. from here. Um, I don't know. My bull case is the watch continues the ascent services continues their ascent and iPhone, iPad and Mac demand stays stable. I don't think you need the new businesses to get positive returns, but the stuff Ian was talking about can help propel them to 
you know, more market beating returns over the next decade. Uh, I mean, if cash flow inches toward about $200 billion a year and then share count shrinks, returns should be solid. Um, I think we're all in the, we've kind of all had the same bull case there. Bear case though, I'm curious to see what everyone's thoughts are. Uh, what are yours, Ian? Yeah, I think for the bear case, that the real bear case is that growth is non-existent and the market re-rates Apple and it goes from trading at about 20 times EBITDA today to closer to like six to eight times EBITDA, which is what it was trading at when people were worried about its growth. And um, if if these new products aren't able to get going or there's issues with the China revenue or whatever there is, that, that that's the big risk here is that you are paying up for it, um, at least compared to historical averages for Apple. And that the market could always, you know, re-rate this. I think the the share buybacks and its large cash balance um, provides some ability to um, to kind of cope with that, where you're probably not getting totally shellacked. But if it re-rates it to six times EBITDA, that's that's about you know you know seventy five percent down from here almost. So um, that's it's it is a risk. I think. Yeah. Oh, I mean, most. I'm going to say most of the returns over the last five years have been multiple expansion. I think. I mean, they would have yeah, still I, had I would great have to returns see, for that, right? Yes, yes. The the multiple expansion has been uh, has been very beneficial. They've they've also grown revenues and, and free cash flow and stuff, but the multiple expansion has been very beneficial to the returns no doubt. Right. Positive. It would have been positive either way, but it, it was it was nice to have that on top. Ryan, what's your bear case? My, I don't see a very realist. I don't think there's a realistic scenario where revenue is down five years from now. Um, so I'm assuming the floor is fairly high here just because they have that uh, 4% yield on the buybacks and the um, uh, dividends. Um, I don't but, know, 28 times? Eh, I don't know. It's traded below 10 before. If they Let's say they grew revenue at 3% a year for the next five years. Do you think, what do you think? I think returns, returns would be negative, but not too negative. That's right. I mean, it just seems like they have so much control now over their top line that other outside of the app store stuff, which could hurt them because it's 31% of gross profit. Not well, not all, I guess, services is 31% of gross profit. Um, I think they have a lot of control over their top line. I guess if there's like some sort of like recession or depression and no one's spending money on iPhones, which still, I think that's almost like a necessary expense in today's world. Yeah. I mean, have we gone through a true recession though with an iPhone at scale? Yeah, you can't function without it. Like, you Yeah, but you can, you can, you can function with an old one. In some cases. I mean. As, I think, if it's functioning. Yeah. Yeah. The, it just. Yeah, you. I yeah. I guess maybe new, new sales wouldn't be as good. But you still have services. You still have a lot of revenue from services, regardless of even if there's some fee compression on the app stores. True. True. It, it just feels almost indestructible at this point. Um, I think the bear case you're getting, you're flat over the next five years. Which I mean, obviously that isn't. That's not great. But I just don't see a world where this is a 50% smaller business in yeah. five years. Yeah, true. I can see a world where it's a 50% smaller stock, but not business, um, just for multiple compression. Here's my bear case. That it's possible that their revenue growth, let's play this out scenario, 
that people got whatever trillions of dollars in consumer checks and their savings went up through the roof. And over the last six months, it got depleted basically back to levels like people are spending insane amounts. I think a lot of that went to phones and Apple products. Um, that could have a negative impact, at least comparatively, over the next few years. Uh, stimulus checks are likely, well, never say never. They could be back. Um, I think that, that the bear case is that that had a one-time impact on growth that isn't repeatable. And that sours growth from here. There are only so many consumer discretionary dollars you have out there. Um, and then the other stuff, you know, China is obviously the bear case if that blows up. Um, and then if App Store stuff, Google's contract blows up, that's obviously negative as well, but wouldn't be detrimental. Um, I think the big thing is just consumer discretionary spending. Um, are people able to afford these, which is kind of depressing to talk about um, as a lot of people don't have any savings, but are they able to afford these $1,000 phones? Um, all right. More or less interested, Ian, I think we may know your answer, but I don't know if, you, <laughs> uh, what do you think? Yeah. So it is my largest position. I think, um, I like Apple. I think they've got some great competitive advantages and I think there's, um, still room for them to grow from here. I will caveat that with kind of what I was saying in the bear case that, that do I think it's going to be at 20 times EBITDA 10 years from now? <sighs> Probably not. Right. Probably not. And so that you're probably seeing some multiple compression over that time. I don't like to try and time um, <laughs> multiple compression or multiple expansion. That's not uh, generally what I'm trying to, to time. Um, and so I'm willing to, you know, I, I'm, I like the stock, but it's, uh, it's, um, you know, I think there are some, con some concerns out there, especially valuation wise. Yeah. It's interesting. This might be in the boat for a ton of people where they bought before, uh, whatever, say 2015, 2016, and they wouldn't buy now, but they're not selling now. It's kind of in that weird middle ground. Um, all right, Ryan, what's your more or less? Unless I think there's better opportunities out there. Um, I think, I still think, I mean, if it's at what, three and a half, four percent free cash flow yield in between that, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think there's better opportunities out there than. Apple at 28 times and grow at 20 is it 28 times free cash flow growing it. It probably it can't grow. I'm guessing <laughs> it has to be GDP growth at some point. Yeah. I mean, at some point it does. I think if you probably took an average over the next five years, it's going to be less than 10%. I just, I have, maybe I just have a hard time imagining like their ability to grow at size. Um, but that's, I guess, my one. Yeah, I would just say there's better places out there from your money right now. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm kind of a similar boat. I'm really like what I was describing as Ian's scenario. That's what I'm at. Like, if I bought in 2015, 2016, like, would I be selling here? I don't know. Probably not. But I'm not buying here. I'm less interested. Uh, I just don't think the growth can be that strong. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's been such a good performer. I think people anchor to the returns that it's done, <laughs> but I, I don't know. It seems like it kind of, it seems like it's a hard place to like lose money, but the valuation is too high for me to kind of say that with a lot of confidence. I think multiple compression can come in a lot. I don't know. I'm less interested. Obviously one of the best run businesses of all time, really great story, fun to like watch. I was like reading the reports, but definitely less interested at this point. 
Uh, we got stock for next week now. Um, I did a poll today, so I got to bring it up. Yeah, who's winning the poll? Let's see. Well, we got to figure it out. I did. Uh, it was a oh, SaaS dang. Market, yeah. No, it was a mix of com- of DMs we got. So if you want to get on a future poll, follow us on Twitter at Chitchat Money and DM us suggestions. It was DocuSign, Adobe, Disney, American Tower. No love for American Tower. Uh, only 7% of the vote, but it was a tight race. And even though I voted for Adobe to, to, to boost the results, we got DocuSign, got 33% of the vote. So that's what we're going to be doing in two weeks. That's Should be a, fun. Uh, Down a ton. I don't know. Could be interesting. Yeah, kind of a... Dare I say battleground stock? Yeah, some people think it's a product. Some people think it's a really great company. So we'll have to (laughs) to dig in. Um, All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. If you are listening on Spotify or Apple, give us a review. That's the easiest way you can help the show. If you're on Spotify, it takes about three seconds to give a review. So please give us that uh, that rating. It's the it's the best way to help the show. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this episode is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.